So, hello and welcome to Social X, the uh, regular podcast from Humentum. My name is George Miller, and I'm delighted to welcome as our guest today, Pap Guy. Pap is President Emeritus of IntraHealth International, where he spent many years as President and CEO. He focused on ensuring human resources for health and family planning became crucial parts of the worldwide conversation on global health. More recently, Pap founded the Baobab Institute for Health and Development, based in Senegal. Its mission statement says, We encourage, expedite and support local ownership and strengthen the capacity of local systems to deliver sustainable results at regional and national levels. The Institute's website also talks about their passion for partnerships, and partnerships are going to be central to our discussion of locally-led development today. They were a key part, too, of the webinar that PAP recently moderated for Humentum, Building Partnerships of Consequence, which is part of an ongoing series of Humentum webinars on the theme of operationalising locally-led development. You can find out more about it on the Humentum website. PAP, a very warm welcome to Social X. Well, thank you, George. Uh, Very happy to be here. So besides being a chance to dig into some of the the big themes that I've just sort of mentioned, this podcast is also an opportunity to to get to know the guest a little bit better. I know that you grew up in Dakar, the capital of Senegal, and you've spoken about your involvement with the Peace Corps being a, a critical experience in your life. So I wanted to begin there because I think really a lot of the things we're going to think about today are about perspective shifts, changing the mindset, looking at things differently in order to to achieve different things. And I wondered, was your experience with the Peace Corps, was that a sort of first encounter for you with a perspective shift in the way that you looked on the world, your country, and maybe what you wanted to do with your life? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think think that experience um, ended up pointing me to the direction I was going to end up um, it 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 i think it opened kind of the global uh field for me uh, i think what it did whereas when i started with the peace corps i was very much interested in the lang- in the english language and and that part was really what motivated me most being among english speaking uh, folks uh, but what the experience with Peace Corps did was just create this impression on me that there is much to do out there. And I was looking at these young Americans who had left all the creature comforts, all the comfortable lives back home to come and serve. Uh, so I, that, that marked me uh, profoundly. And I, I think it, it created this desire for me to learn more about other cultures, about other people. And, um, and yeah, that was the start for me. That was the start yeah. of my journey uh, in, in global work. And I'd, I've seen that you were involved in language training programs. You already mentioned you're interested in the English language and cross-cultural training programs. So that, that sort of sense... I guess, of what makes a good, what makes a successful interaction when the two parties are communicating effectively, they're not at cross purposes. That was something that you were already 
involved in and interested in, and that seemed to me that was a thread that's that's gone through your career since. It was. It definitely was. And, um, and all this developed as I was a language instructor uh, trying to teach my native language and French uh, to these new volunteers. And the whole process of uh, translating uh, greetings and simple phrases and all that, I think, taught me a lot about, uh, you know, the human ability to adapt. Uh, it also taught me a lot about the intersection between language and culture, because it was very difficult to teach a language in a vacuum, that suddenly you realize, oh my God, how people say things uh, oftentimes is a reflection on how they view the world, what their worldview was. So, um, so that cross-cultural aspect probably uh, became the, the, the biggest draw. Uh, as I pursued uh, my interest in exploring, even when I was going later on, when I was going to to uh, business school, I was going yeah. to management school, I, I ended up having a mentor who really sat in the school of education and who was very interested, in fact, the cultural dimension of business. Yeah. And is there, a, is there a path that you didn't take where you might have gone into business and be, you know, CEO of a, a very different kind of organization? Or were you always, were you always focused on, on development and the business was just a different way of, you know, coming to that? No, I, I thought I was going to actually go for corporate America. I was, you know, the reason why I shifted kind of a midway to go study business was I was interested in in doing more uh, in the, in corporate America, I was interested in in getting some experience with with private sector. Uh, in the end, it didn't turn out that way. I ended up staying in the development, not for profit field. Yeah. So, so what was it about intra health that sort of spoke to you? What was it that made that such a good match for your interests and and talents? Because you were there for for several decades, weren't you? I think it was the training and capacity building aspect. I was, I was living, um, I had just finished school, uh, living in Los Angeles. And um, when I got the call uh, from a colleague, um, who's also a very, very good friend, who happened to be a former Peace Corps volunteer, who just called and said, by the way, um, we are looking for somebody to represent our organization in West Africa. And uh, uh, we work in family planning. And, and I said, what's that? <laughs> At the time, said, then, then she explained further. She said, actually, we are a training and capacity building organization. That really attracted me. This idea. So it was a bit of a continuity of what I had done with the Peace Corps. And I had had such a positive experience interacting with people at that level, trying to teach them my culture, my language, and trying to learn from them as well. Yeah. And when you when you went back to West Africa, would you say you brought a different perspective than the one that you had left with? I mean, very much so. Oh, very much so. I, I, for me, uh, the doors of possibilities had opened, had opened up. <laughs> I just... When I saw uh, what was possible, 
um, I, I just, my dreams got bigger. My, my vision about what was possible got bigger. Uh, whereas before I left, uh, to go study in the United States, I wanted to become a translator at the UN. <laughs> I very quickly learned that there was a bigger world open to me that I could do a, a lot more than, than, than just that. If we if we turn now to locally led development, yeah. I don't want to get too hung up on definitions, but sometimes it's quite it's quite useful at the start just to to make sure we we know what the ground we're talking about is. Yeah. Do you do you think it's easy to define what locally led development is, or do you think there are there are traps and pitfalls, and sometimes the dialogue isn't isn't quite on the same wavelength? I, I think it's very complicated to tell you the truth, and and I. And I think it's a very, very complex and complicated issue um, because there are just very many dimensions. I, I, you know, at the center of it is, is resources and lack of resources. It's money and absence of money. So it's at the heart of it, I think, is that. And... And it's about development, which is a very complex area. And it's about people. (laughs) And when people are involved, we know it's not going to be simple. Um, And I think it all depends on what point of view you take. That's why what makes it complicated. Um, uh, One thing that is not controversial one thing that I think is accepted by all is that the objective of local development is not controversial. I think that's the dream of everybody who worked in, uh, who works in development to reach one day where people you are supporting can do what you're trying to teach them to do. They can do it on their own. That is very less controversial. I think what is complicated is the how yeah. and the time and, and, and the, the complexity. Uh, and frankly, um, and the environment. Um, and, and I think these days the conversation has even gotten more complicated because of what happened in the United States two summers ago, the George Floyd issue, the conversation about decolonizing global health, um, the big focus we all have on equity, um, the, 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 the dream that we all have about putting women at the center of development. All of these things make it extremely complicated. And I think it comes along with with just the nature of development, which we have been watching evolve and get more complex. Um, we, this shift of paradigm has been happening, I think in the last decade, we've seen a transformation of the development field and, and it's, it has gotten more complicated. We have gone from a very vertical, straightforward approach. It was mostly a humanitarian focus. It was generous people 
living in more endowed countries, trying to help uh, less uh, fortunate or um, uh, less developed, anyway, uh, populations. And I think there is a consensus now that it has to be something different than that. That model worked to a certain extent, but it's no longer working. Yeah. And and we are we are trying to figure out what is the right model, which makes it even more complicated, because yeah. it's it's almost like a process of discovery. <laughs> yes, and of course, the world goes on. You can't you can't sort of stop the world while you devise a model. Yes, test it and then implement it. So, change. I know you've spoken before about the need to accelerate change and yes. sometimes feeling frustrated at the speed of change because you're working with a sort of live a live model that's that's continually in motion. So that's right. I guess you can experiment, but but on a on a on a sort of um, smaller, more concentrated scale. You know, maybe some of these issues actually, George, existed in the past, but they are more visible now, and I think that's a dilemma we have in the world now. It's it's not it, it it it's just that this problem exists, but with the progress we've made in putting information out there and making information accessible, yeah. everybody can see. Everybody can see what the issue is. Everybody that this then create this new impatience that we are seeing. Uh, some like to call the these new breed of development workers, these social entrepreneurs. No wonder some people call them the eternal optimist. <laughs> and 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 or the or the or or the impatient optimist actually is, is, is what I wanted to say. Because th- there is this impatience about well why is it taking us so long? Um, you know the, the, the money should not be the problem. There there is money. Skill set is is there. Uh, so what's wrong? How can we be, you know, how come we're not making progress faster? So there is urgency. I mean, I'm on the camp of people saying we've made tremendous progress, but we can make even more, and we can make more faster. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think that's. I advocate for us to put ourselves in front of a of an urgent agenda it's i think the, the the difficulty when you're working in development when you're trying to save lives uh, it's just like the quicker you do it the better um, so with, if you factor that in uh, it even adds more to the complexity because because people have just waited too long and they can't wait anymore yeah. um, so i mean Fundamentally, are we talking about how to address a power imbalance? Is that is that essentially the old model that we're trying to move beyond one which was hierarchical and top down yes. and from north to south and encountering all the problems that that tend to come along with, you know, restructuring a balance of power? Is that yeah. is that where the effort you know, I, I think it is, George. I think, I think, I think we have been operating for so long uh, in a situation where we don't have a level playing field. Um, it it might sound a little 
controversial and awkward to say that because we know it's not level. Um, we know we know it's people. In fact, we know it's taxpayers in the north making the sacrifice of donating some of their own resources. Why should it be level? Um, my philosophy is that we need that global solidarity. Call it naive or whatever. I do not think we are going to succeed in the development agenda if we don't have truly that global solidarity, which recognizes there are imbalances and we are making individual and collective commitment to change that. So the paradigm shift needs to be done, in my opinion, with that caveat. It's not that we don't understand. It's not that we don't, we are not realist. It's not that we are naive. We're not. We understand it. But I think the idea is we're making, we're making an appeal to the fantastic people that are in this space, by the way. I mean, I think it takes definitely very special folks to decide to embrace development work. I, I, I just think, and it is great that even the private sector, people are saying, you know, we can make money and we can do good. And we open up to the, to the, um, uh, to the sustainable development goal agenda. We, we, we can do our part. I think the world needs that. I think, I think in the midst of the craziness that we are all living through, this idea of, of global uh, participation, of global gener- generosity, needs to be there. I mean, there, there's, there's just no doubt. But I think that's how humanity is going to progress. Humanity is going to progress by people helping each other, not by people fighting each other. I, it's just, but I, I, I also accept that, that it's a, it's a camp issue and there are people who will never believe that, who believe that the world is a jungle. You've got to fight. You've got to, that, that to me, that is, you know, the given is that, we're in it, and we think in the end, if the world is healthier, everybody will gain. Uh, I think that's what it takes. I think I think that even makes add to the complexity that that we talked about. Uh, but for me, it's a, it's a must uh, to continue to to focus on that. It is a small world. We are dependent. We see what's happening today with the Ukraine war, Africa. Everybody is extremely nervous because of the possibility that we're going to see a lot of famine because most of the wheat comes from Ukraine. Um, It's just, we are connected. We are connected in ways we were never in history. And and if we believe that that that's going to be good for all of us, um, that's what we need to do. I, I I was looking at the seminar... Um, that you did for Humentum about about partnerships of consequence, and you were talking about the need to unlearn certain yes. things, things that things that we perhaps have held on to 
too long. And you said individual engagement is where it all starts. And I wanted to get you to, to talk a little bit about how you, you know, how you can begin to make that sort of sort of self-querying, self-questioning that, that can begin to, to free you up to, to think about things in a different way. People like me who've come here, studied at an American university, worked for a big American uh, international NGO, we, we could be very easily in a position where we are perpetrating what we're trying to change. Rather than making that change, we're just adding to it. We're aggravating it. Um, you know, we, we have new set of values that we've embraced. We've got a new ways of doing things. There are things that we agreed during our education to suppress or to let go. There's a lot of my own personal values that I left aside as a way of compromising so I can survive in this new organization. If I'm going to go back to the environment that I left some years ago and make contribution, I have to make sure I am not biased by all this new baggage that I bring. This is why, to me, it's so important to encourage people to do that deep analysis. Because in the end, the system may change, but if you make the necessary changes at your individual level, then you can do. You'll be much more efficient trying to change the system. So I, I, that's why this unlearning agenda. When I started reflecting on this, I started telling everybody, "I'm actually drawing up my list of unlearning agenda," and that list keeps getting very big. <laughs> <laughs> and and I just uh, and I just need to to do a lot more. You know, I'm I'm actually a big adept of this uh, adaptive leadership model, and I, I belong to the Adaptive Leadership Association. And I worked with with Alexander Grashaw, who I just see as a, as a fantastic trainer. And we 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 talk a lot. One of the model there, one a part of the model is is the phase when you when you interpret things. And I think this is where we need to spend a little bit more time because, you know, we're quick to interpret and move on. And there's always room to stop, pause, and search for different interpretation. Yeah. And I think this is where the unlearning, learning and unlearning exercise keeps becoming very interesting. So I just think it's a good thing to do. I think... For us, change agent, um, a couple of years ago, there was an awakening here. And um, we, we woke up one morning and we, we found out, oh, my God, our work got harder overnight. You know, if we have to embrace all of this complexity, if we have to pay more attention to, to diversity, if we have to pay more attention to equity, if we have to fight and be aware of the impact of, of colonization on development, then there is a lot more to it than we thought. And, and it's not going to get easier, folks. It's, it's, it's just going to get more complicated. So the more we can prepare ourselves and the more we can buckle up, I, I, I think the, the better change agent we will become. 
So you had all these things in your mind when you were planning the Baobab Institute. Yes. I'm guessing you were aware of all the complexity, the, the unlearning agenda, yeah. the need to be adaptive, the, you know, the, how, how much more, as you say, how much more complicated the world and development yeah. had become. So tell me about what, what the motivation was to plunge in, um, g- given all those circumstances, what you, were, what you were hoping to do and what you were hoping to avoid doing. Before the pandemic, I mean, five years ago, I think I started thinking about this idea of creating something after I retired. And I, to me, it was very simple. I was going to go back to Senegal and I was going to actually open up a, a training center. And I started talking to the Senegalese government about getting a piece of land and and all of that. And then COVID hit and then we had this, you know, I made my transition during the pandemic. I think that week when we were closing the office was was the week that I was transitioning with my my successor. <laughs> Ever since we transitioned, she hasn't had a chance to actually be physically present in the office and all of that. Um so so I said okay, maybe there's room here for more learning. I started doing a lot of talking, a lot of listening and a lot of observing, because I was seeing how can we add. So I think I got a chance to think a little bit more that the idea of, of, of a training center was there, but that was probably not all I wanted to do. What I really wanted to do is create a movement whereby locally there will be thinking conversation, exchange of ideas, and contribution on this discussion about locally led development. Because we don't do that, George. We all the thinking uh, about development, because development was a phenomenon that was not born out of the countries. It was born out of the goodwill of you know, the international communities, the donor communities, philanthropists. So it remains that way. So the thinking, the planning, the strategizing is done up here and parachuted down for implementation. And I said, that's got to change. We have to start working in changing the model so that at least it's done differently. You know, even if the thinking is done physically in New York, I think it could be done in a way that you've got the right voices at the table at the right time. So that then became my battle. I said, you know, I think I can engage into this battle. And I think I can can create a platform that's going to work toward that. Really knowing that you're talking probably a decade or more um, if you want to, especially in Francophone West Africa, I decided to focus in this aspect. Although, you know, I want to work on the continent, I want to serve the continent. But I think the right place to stay with me is French-speaking Africa, because it happens to be the place where we've got the worst health indicators, that the region has been a little behind because of language. So I, I wanted to fight against that as well. We don't have to wait for strategies to be tried out in Uganda and Kenya. And then in first, we could start from scratch. And, and so I started thinking about 
you know, and I and I don't think our audience should be just the international development community. That community has gotten much, much larger. Even though we continue to to act and to speak like it's 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 a sector in itself, it has become the lines have blurred so much that it's it's you know it's very difficult to see it just in terms of not for profit and for profit. It's it's become much, much more complicated. I don't know where these social entrepreneurs sit, they sit in the middle. You know, the private sector is much more willing to engage in development. And then they're, you know, they're win-win um, things to make. Um, I think, I think there are complementary roles in these, in these sectors. You know, all of these things, if you figure out, um, not so much the field today or in the past, but where the field might go tomorrow, then, then I thought, I, I think, I think this would be good to to create a platform to engage talent, to continue to nurture talent, because Africa, one of the assets that is so formidable for Africa, it's not just natural resources, like there's plenty of it, but it's people. It's really the quality of people. Um, I was reading sometime last year how well African students do in the U.S. And, and I suspect in the U.K. they don't do too bad neither. They, among, among foreigners that come to study, they tend to rank pretty well. And they, um, they, it's, I'm, I'm always amazed by, the, by, by human resources around the world and how Africans are, are, are doing well. So I think continuing to invest in, 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 um, uh, in, in people uh, could pay very, very large dividend for, for the continent. So it's, it's all of these things that, that and we're still thinking, <laughs> and we're still, you know, collecting. Our intention is to open up the doors for conversations. I would love for us to be able to, to generate data and, 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 you know, good conversation about what Africans think about this whole locally led development. How do they see it? Is, is, is that a priority? Um, are we crazy to be thinking about it that way? Are we thinking about it, you know, the proper way? Those kind of things. That's that's that. Those help me uh, set a bulb up and uh, yeah. as a, as a platform. And is there a tension, Pap, between the the need to accelerate that we talked about earlier versus what you've been describing, which is actually quite a quite a careful building of the groundwork? You know, yeah. build starting the conversation, bringing people in through the door, literally, metaphorically, yeah. and then and hope hopefully that will lead in time to to sustainable partnerships. But is there a tension there between wanting yeah. to move things quickly but actually wanting them to last? Very big tensions. Well, we are still talking about humanitarian work. Uh, unfortunately, while we're having this thinking, while we're having great human resources come out of the best schools around the world, unfortunately, we're having situation worsen 
in 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 part of most part of the world. And if if we take Africa, certainly you take you take sub-Saharan Africa and you take the Sahel region, which which has all new set of problems with 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 security and and jihadist and and uh, all these issues. And then you've got climate, and you've got climate which is having such such bad impact on coastal communities, on desertification, on so so these are new issues and new problems. And because of this, and of course we're not in a situation where the job is done. We still have lots of unfinished business. You know, we've cut extreme poverty in more than a half, we've cut maternal mortality in more than a half. We are talking eventually about malaria elimination. We are beginning to say that people can live with HIV. So we've made tremendous progress. But then you see what's happening with COVID, with with monkeypox, with you know, it's just like it's 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 so you're gonna have you're gonna have these <laughs> yes, this tension. So I, I don't blame people who are saying, "What are you talking about?" You know, I'm talking about South Sudan. People are still dying. Mothers are still dying. You know, loads of mothers are dying every day. Uh, you know, I don't have time to be negotiating a model and stuff. I just want to put in money and help and move on. You know, that kind of thing. Um, this is the complexity that I'm talking about. Is 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 that duality and and the fact that we have to live with this. You have to you have to say I can. The reason why we are rejecting the current model is that it's no longer enough. We're not saying it's not good, but it's no longer enough. People are impatient. They want the result yesterday. And it's a reality that there are people still dying. And there are new diseases coming. And there is change in the epidemiological profile. So so that's why I said we woke up one day saying, oh, my God. You know, it's just much, much more complicated. So lots of tension, lots of tension. And I think when people are trying, I think it would be a mistake to see localization or locally led development as kind of, it's, it, it's not black and white. <laughs> it's, and it's not, it's a, it, it's a continuum, um, where I think we need to refocus on what we measure, because that part I think we are not doing very well. We we have good system to measure progress in terms of life saves, in terms of in terms of uh, people we are curing, in terms of contraception that that we are providing to people. Those kind of things we've developed incredible ability to do that well. But there are some new things that are much, much harder. When you're talking about the systems realm, when you're talking about measuring how far we've gone in strengthening systems, that's complicated. Yeah. You know, the, 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 one of our donors, the Gates Foundation, taken a long time to invest in health system, and they're still not investing in health system in the way we, we frankly would like them to do. They are focusing to invest on strengthening the primary health care system, which would be a huge contribution because that even tend to be more complicated to, to measure what goes into primary health care system and how do we 
make sure? How do we know we are making progress? So those kinds of things. Um, it, so that, that I think that's that's kind of the bottom line is that is that we need a we need a new brand that's going to have some of what the past offered and a little bit more. And 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 this is where we where it becomes complicated um, yeah. because unfortunately we don't have enough resources to go around and we still have to make choices. You must sometimes meet people who say, well, locally led development, it sounds like a good idea, but, you know, what about accountability? What about measurability? What about scalability? What, you, do you, are there examples that you reach for to say, no, look, at its best, this is what it can do that you couldn't do any other way? Are there sort of concrete things on the ground that you sort of frequently cite to say this this really has to be part of the mix and be the shape of the future when i see 90 percent of the population in rwanda subscribe to health insurance the national health insurance scheme it gives me a lot of hope it it tells me that you can actually prepare a strategy that will involve protecting people from going bankrupt because they're sick or getting care, very basic care, um, and things like that. Frankly, when I see a country like Rwanda and 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 the example of of things that they've been able to achieve, I'm only making comments on the health sector and what I see, what, what I've known. There's a lot of other discussion that can happen, uh, which should happen, by the way, because you cannot just see Rwanda today for its progress. And you have to say, how about the other aspects, um, human rights and so forth. Um, but that gives me hope that, you know, yes, I, I think we've seen a handful of countries that, that have, that have done extremely well uh, with the SDGs, with certain SDGs. Um, and, and frankly, when I look at the country where I've been spending a lot of time, the United States, and how the health system as a whole is not, is not working to my liking <laughs> for the majority of people, then, then I said, you know, I, I, I think there are actually ways to have something that's going to serve more people, um, so so there you know there is that, and then and and there is some concrete examples that I can cite in the family planning world. I mean, I don't know George if you've heard of the Wagadugu Partnership, which was a partnership created ten years ago among the nine French-speaking countries of West Africa who back in 2012, after a major conference, decided we have to do better and on, on family planning uh, because it's linked with development. I just saw obvious that if we don't make progress in that, we, we, we will be going backward. Um, there, there has been incredible progress in a few countries in that region when it comes to embracing family planning and actually making tangible progress. So, you know, it gives me so much hope um, that in a 10-year span, you can mobilize a whole region um, and you can make progress 
in something, which is mostly the the way it's been done, is locally led. That partnership is sustained today and it keeps going because it's been totally embraced by the leaders of those nine countries. Those nine ministers have come together since this movement was created. It's a very, very active platform. Donors are now, they're continuing to support it, but now they're beginning to say, are there ways we can actually make this support more sustainable? And we we should continue to watch that. The, the Family Planning 2030 initiative is getting a lot of inspiration from the Ouagadougou partnership as a model. So, so it, it, it is possible if there is a little longer term commitment, which is, which is one of the issues we know because the vision tend to be very short terms. Donors don't want to be there longer than five years. And, and, you know, we know development is something that's going to last. If you don't, if the donors don't make commitment, then you've got to go through extraordinary effort to maintain any momentum that you have just because of the natural tendency for people to change for the turnover rate with ministries and and things like that and 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 um and I'm doing a lot of work in the area of 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 community health uh I'm supporting the work of organizations like Living Good or Last Mile Health and these are groups that are focusing on uh digitally enable community health workers. You may have had some of their leaders in your broadcast, in your podcast. Um, Those guys are seeing incredible results and they're seeing what's possible. I mean, I just came back from a Living Good uh, board meeting in Kisumu, Kenya, and I, I had a chance myself to go visit the sites, visit families that are being served by this project. Um, I, I, it can be done. Pap, thank you so much for joining us today in the Social X podcast. It's been really fascinating and it'd be great to check in with you in a few years again and see how Baobab is developing and all these, all these networks and partnerships. That would be great. Absolutely. Um, just a reminder to, to viewers and listeners that you can find previous episodes of the podcast on all the usual platforms and on YouTube. And if you found this conversation thought-provoking, do visit the Humentum website and check out the ongoing operationalizing locally-led development series of webinars that um, Pap has already um, uh, hosted one, one episode of. I hope you'll join us again soon for another program in this series. And until then, thank you very much for watching. And thank you again to Pap. Okay, thank you, George.